It's HSK Today, a weekly in-depth look at the Henderson Silver Knights and the AHL with your host, Brian McCormick. And here we go. Welcome to HSK Today. Brian McCormick here, you there. Damon Cotton is on the other side of the glass as we sit down for an hour of horse hockey, take you up until 4 p.m. and our guys in the desert. Uh, jam-packed afternoon. I mean, they always tend to be. Damon, I don't think we've had one show where I haven't said jam-packed afternoon, which means I'm either lying to myself or we just have a lot to discuss week in and week out. They're always jam-packed. Got to keep it jam-packed. Got to keep the fans, uh, give them what they want. And today we have, uh, well, we'll discuss the last uh, two games in San Jose for the Henderson Silver Knights. They eked out a shootout win on Tuesday, came up on the short end of the stick on Wednesday last night against the Barracuda. They'll look to bounce back. Tomorrow night here in Bakersfield, where I am currently sitting at Mechanics Bank Arena. We'll also hear from Reed Duke in our next segment. Back in the lineup each of the last two games after a lengthy absence due to injury. And he's had a very good return. Points in back-to-back games. He had the game tying goal late on Tuesday. And assist on a Dylan Secure tally last night. So we'll hear from Reed Duke. His journey back from injury. And, uh, well, just some of the intricacies that make him him. At the bottom of the hour, Patrick Williams, AHL insider for NHL.com and EliteProspects.com hops on. We'll talk Silver Knights, but also the AHL as a whole uh, and what has been certainly a, a very, very unique season for Patrick Williams trying to cover this entire league in COVID time. So a lot to talk about, and we'll also, speaking of talk, we'll have our second episode of Hockey Talk where our Silver Knights players and coaches in this case, as Jamie Heward gotten in the mix, uh, teach us a little bit about some of these slang terms that uh, we all love but we don't all understand. So lots to get to, and we will get right away to last night for the Henderson Silver Knights. The first time this season that they have lost a game when trailing after, uh, when leading after two periods. They had a 2 nothing lead late in the second period. Maxime Latunov scored in the final minute of the middle frame, and then three more in the third period for the Barracuda, including another for Maxime Latunov that held up as the game winner. And for uh, Manny Viveros, talking to him after the game, he said, well, part of it was, you know, San Jose came out hard, all the credit in the world, the things you expect to hear, but it was a there was a little bit of uh, fatigue. He said, you know, in the third period, we did. We just ran out of gas. And uh, it's worth noting, and, and again, not an excuse. Every team goes through these things, and you have to find ways to win. And when the Silver Knights have a record of 22-5, and five, they largely have found ways to win. But this is a long road trip. Uh, today is day 10. Today is day 10 of this road trip, and it'll wrap up tomorrow on day 11. The team was a little bit tired, and, and today a, a, a day where the team has stayed away from the rink, no practice, no skating, uh, just uh, you know, treatment as needed. This was a day that the Silver, needs, uh, Silver Knights needed just to get their legs back under them a little bit uh, as they get ready to face a, uh, a Bakersfield Condors team that has not played much of late. They played on uh, on the 6th, so two days ago they played. They had a 5-4 win over the Ontario Reign. Prior to that game on Monday, uh, or pardon me, on Tuesday, they had not played since March the 30th. So this is going to be a Bakersfield team on home ice that is very well rested against the Silver Knights team that is just wrapping up the end of this week-and-a-half excursion, which, again, in a normal AHL season, a long trip still, but not outrageously so. Uh, but this year, where there's been so, uh, really so little travel, I mean, when there has been travel, it's been kind of a, a week a week long at most, two or three games and out. Uh, this has been the first extended trip for the Silver Knights, and they've handled it pretty well thus far, winning three of five, but more work to do against the rested Condors. We spoke with Manny Viveros after the game last night a little bit. It was certainly worth mentioning. Uh, this was a series against San Jose that was meaner, edgier, angrier. And we've talked about this season how well the Silver Knights have played with 
speed and creativity and finding different ways to win. This was a different style of hockey, and, and uh, players, several of them referred to it almost as playoff-like, and, and you could see that as there was just a little bit more snarl, and for that matter, the Silver Knights' power play had a, a big impact on the game on Tuesday when they tied the game late on the man advantage and had six power plays in the game. Yesterday, a much, much different story, and I asked Manny Viveros if he thought Wednesday's game was officiated differently from Tuesday's. I certainly thought it was. Um, you know, at the beginning of the game, they, they pretty well let everything go. And then towards, towards the end, they called, uh, you know, they were calling almost everything. So, you know, it was a little bit inconsistent uh, from the very beginning uh, towards the end. But, you know, it, you know, they got a job to do, and that's, uh, you know, they're, ma they're making those decisions. So, um, but yeah, no, it certainly was. Didn't expect those back-to-back games are going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more emotion involved and uh, uh, certainly uh, tonight's game was a lot trippier. And that was Manny Viveros and the same officials worked the game on Tuesday and Wednesday and from my early uh, research I do believe uh, it's at least going to be at least one of the two refs from those two games will be working the game tomorrow night here in Bakersfield as well. And Again each game is unique and has its own flow and its own temperament uh, but for the Silver Knights, there, there definitely was some frustration, and that's not me uh, quoting anyone. That's me just with my eyes seeing some of the uh, the rebuttals in-game from the Silver Knights uh, that were not thrilled with the, how the third period was called last night, and it certainly made a difference, uh, particularly the Maxime Latunov goal. That was a power play goal that gave the Barracuda the lead for good late in the third period. That was off of a Zach Hayes tr uh, hooking call off a face-off. And, and just for the amount that was let go last night, um, I was surprised that the arm went up for th for that, for Zach Hayes. Uh, when we talk about playoff-style hockey, that goes for officials too, and anyone who watches the uh, the NHL playoffs knows, uh, well, speaking to a Vegas Golden Knights audience, maybe I shouldn't say this so so broadly, but <laughs> generally the, the whistle goes away and you really, really need to blatantly offend to get a penalty called in tight games late. Uh, maybe, maybe high sticks notwithstanding. But <laughs> for the... Uh, Silver Knights last night had a bit of a, of a playoff feel, and Tuesday for that matter as well, just in terms of the raw physicality and some of the uh, the, the edgier stuff that got uh, got away uh, from officials away from the play, and that included Reed Duke, who was knocked down about 40 feet away from the puck uh, seconds before the Sasha Shemilevsky goal. That was another instance where the Silver Knights thought that play should have been halted, and it was not. So for the Silver Knights, you know, you bounce back, and I think that's something that we haven't had to uh, to dwell on too much this season for, for Silver Knights fans is that there hasn't been that much losing, right? And for the Silver Knights, they've now uh, lost two of their last three, which seems like a massive, massive sample size in perspective to a team that has a 22-5 and record. Um, but there haven't been too many nights where they've had adversity that they've had to deal with, uh, in terms of the things you can control, but also the things you can't control. And you can't control how a game is called. Everyone's going to have good games and bad games. And again, this is a one-sided perspective. I'm sure the officials from last night think they, their game was just fine. Uh, but it's something the Silver Knights need to work through, not dwell on. That's why today having an off day, very effective. Get everyone rested, retooled, and ready to go for one last game on this road trip before bouncing back to the Orleans Arena for next week. One uh, positive to draw from last night for the Henderson Silver Knights is the continued strong play of Ben Jones, and Ben Jones found the back of the net again. We've been saying that a lot lately. Center point Murphy, left circle Dugan, waits, fires, scores! Jack Dugan, the rip from the left circle. Ben Jones was in front, might have gotten a piece. And it looks like it is Ben Jones. It's a power play goal. The Silver Knights have a 2-0 lead. 
And the 2-0 lead would not last, but for Ben Jones, finds the back of the net again. He is becoming a power play fixture for the Henderson Silver Knights, as for the third time in four games, it was Ben Jones on the receiving end of a Jack Dugan setup. And, uh, you know, we've, ta we've touted uh, Ben Jones' statistics over the last few weeks, and he's given us no choice. Over the course of his last, let's just count up to be sure, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, Last 12 games, three go uh, six goals and 10 points for Ben Jones. Six goals and 10 points in the last 12 games. For some perspective, last year with the Chicago Wolves in his rookie season, he had two goals and seven points in a 36-game season. So obviously you expect players, you hope players are going to take a massive step forward from year one to year two of their professional careers. Ben Jones has done just that uh, and has been a steady net front presence, an effective net front presence for the Silver Knights. Uh, and it's it's a multifaceted uh, effectiveness. There's the one uh, aspect where he has the hand skills to make plays in tight in front of the net, but also the, the toughness to take a beating. And he has taken a beating in the blue paint, uh, which has really opened things up around the perimeter. And that's why Jack Dugan, we asked him, and if you were listening to the game last night and heard our pregame coverage, you heard Jack Dugan talk about how he's had a lot of success from the top of the left circle on the power play, sending pucks down low, shooting for sticks, shooting for redirects either right in front or on the back post. And that has been the blueprint for the Silver Knights for three power play goals in the last four games. Murphy center point to the left side for Dugan for a shot pass down low for a redirect. And Ben Jones uh, has been the beneficiary. So that has been a very solid combination for the Silver Knights who have power play goals. I believe it's in six of their last seven games now. Uh, and they'll look more to the man advantage uh, to continue fueling their offense as they face a Condors team that likely will have Stuart Skinner between the pipes and uh, certainly a goaltender that you want to take advantage of power play opportunities when you get them. Let's get, uh, take a look now at our silver and gold for the week. Silver and gold, silver and gold. Everyone wishes for silver and gold. To talk about the uh, prospects bouncing back and forth between the Silver Knights and the Golden Knights. And for the Silver Knights, they got a couple of bodies this week on the back end. Peter Dilibratori, who has played in the last four games for the Henderson Silver Knights after coming down from uh, the, or I shouldn't say coming down, coming over from uh, Quinnipiac University after he finished his college career, signed to an NHL contract. And Coach has been very happy with how he's been able to handle the transition game, particularly in the first handful of pro games of his career. A lot of ice time for Pierre Dilibatori, and I think that'll be the interesting thing to see as he gets more confident, more comfortable, uh, the extent to which he jumps up in the play because immediately he's been put in a situation to get largely top four minutes. Leighton Ahak also joins the Silver Knights after he left Ohio State University to sign his first pro contract. He's on an NHL deal next year. That kicks off next season, but in the meantime, an AHL contract for the remainder of this season with the Henderson Silver Knights still waiting to see his first game action. On the NHL side, Patrick Brown has been up with the uh, the Golden Knights since I believe March 21st is when he went up, and he's seen two games of action since then. No points on the uh, two outings on the 22nd of March and the 3rd of April. A little bit banged up of late, uh, but April 3rd, his last appearance, Cody Glass has appeared in two games with the Golden Knights since going back up after his one game, his one very, very effective game with the Silver Knights in Tucson. No points in two contests for Cody Glass, averaging just under 15 minutes of ice time per game. And also worth mentioning that the Vegas Golden Knights did sign forward 
Maxim Marushev over the weekend, and he comes over from the VHL in Russia where he had been playing. Uh, Marushev signed to an entry-level contract, and again, not, not yet announced where he will be reporting to, but he is under contract with the Vegas Golden Knights organization. And uh, we'll see where he is uh, assigned to in the coming weeks. We will step aside. When we come back, we're going to hear from Reed Duke of the Henderson Silver Knights back in action this past week in San Jose and very effective at that. That's straight ahead. Brian McCormick here with you on HSK Today. And now back to HSK Today with Brian McCormick. Back on HSK Today, Brian McCormick here with you, ready to get set for tomorrow night's game against the Bakersfield Condors to wrap up this long road trip for the Henderson Silver Knights. And we are joined by Reed Duke, who is back in the lineup after a, uh, a lengthy time away. And uh, Reed, welcome to the show. Thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time. And now you've got two games under your belt, and I'm sure you're happy to be back. How have you felt? Uh, yeah, I felt pretty good. Um, definitely great to be back. Uh, you know, you really miss being out. Uh, and Jared, you miss being with the guys. So, um, you know, I was happy to come on the road trip and, uh, and get some games in finally. For all that time away, it must have been nice to rejoin the team on the road. I mean, there's always a different bonding experience for players on the road, and I'm sure you were excited to spend a, a bit, bit more time uh, secluded with these guys. Yeah, of course. When you're when you're not playing, you're, you're kind of on your own schedule, and uh, you know, it get, gets a bit lonely at times. So um, when they told me I was coming, um, you know, you get so much time in with the guys, just hanging out, and you know, the bus trips, the plane rides, and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's great to be together again. Uh, you know, you miss it a lot. You have points in back-to-back games since coming back in the lineup. You had the assist on Dylan Secura's goal last night. Now, you've played with a lot of talented players before, um, but, but some of the offensive talent on this team, just how much fun does that make it for you guys being able to, to play creative hockey? Yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Um, you know, it, nobody's really worried about the line combinations or anything because uh, whoever you're playing with, you know, you're going to have uh, some really good players. So, um, you know, we've got, a, we've got some really good chemistry on this team. We're a tight group. So uh, whoever's with, uh, whoever was playing with anybody, it, it really doesn't matter. And, and we seem to um, kind of click with, uh, with whatever the line combinations are. With Reed Duke, Reed getting back in the lineup, we, we talked about uh, over the course of the last couple of days, you know, your hands, your, your speed, your wind, all the things that you need to come back to get into full game shape. How much also is there just the, the positioning in the game? Because I think sometimes I, I do something and then I see it on film and I'm not doing anything near what I thought I was or standing where I thought I was. I, I'm sure that there's also a bit of a, a re-education process of, of being where you're supposed to be and, and just positionally on the ice. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you you want to get back in shape and, um, you know, feel the puck and stuff like that. But, you know, you can practice that as much as you want. But it's, uh, you know, it's a lot different than actually being out there in a game. Um, you know, it takes takes a little while to get to get back into game shape, and you're right, just that feel and the sense of where you are on the ice and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it uh, it takes a bit, but you know, I was glad to get those those first couple of games back, and um, you know, feel feel good now. You said this week that the San Jose games you guys just played almost had a little bit of a, of a playoff feel. Now every game has its share of pushing and shoving, but this one seemed a little bit edgier against San Jose. And we talked about how this team has learned to find different ways to win. Was this past week uh, a lesson in uh, the level of snarl you guys have to maybe develop for playoff hockey? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I don't think we'd really had 
uh, you know, a tough game like we had, you know, the last two games against San Jose. So, um, you know, it was good to face that adversity. Um, good to see what our group's made out of. And, you know, it's it's not going to be an easy game every single night. So it was good to, good to have a couple of tough tests like that. And, you know, it's nice to learn um, from games like that going into the, uh, the end of the season. With Reed Duke, I asked you before the game the other day how different it was being in a, in a practice facility for these two games back. Now, of course, there's just the practice facility element of how it does not look like a, a major league arena. But on top of that, I've heard from other players saying that just whether it's the optical illusions of the lower ceiling or the, the wall behind the bench, whatever it may be, that things just seem a lot faster. Did you, did you find that to be the case? Uh, I, I know what they mean. It's, uh, you know, a smaller building. Um, you know, it makes it seem like the ice is a little bit smaller. But, um, you know, I... <laughs> I wasn't used to, to skating a big rink anyway, so it was uh, for me it was just nice to be out there no matter what the, the facility was. Well, with Reed Duke, Reed, you're the first player in VGK history. That's one of the fun, uh, fun facts about you. Uh, it also makes you the second most famous Reed Duke in the world uh, behind the magician who was uh, inducted into the Magic Hall of Fame in 2019. I like to assume that the two of you just get confused for each other at airports all the time. I'm sure people just walk up to you and, and demand to see magic. Does that happen? Uh, I've, I've never gotten that, but um, I, uh, he's messaged me a few times on, on Twitter, um, you know, when I resigned, uh, that he's, he was getting a lot of congratulations with, with this new contract with the Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, he was just letting everybody know that it, was, uh, it wasn't him, um, so that was pretty funny. And he hasn't, he hasn't offered to teach you anything? Uh, no, nothing, uh, nothing yet, but I'll, I'll, keep, uh, I'll keep you up to date on that. Well, we know who the selfish Reed Duke is. Well, on that matter, though, you know, you've played in, in Chicago, which is a big hockey market, of course, but the, the Chicago Wolves not affiliated with the Chicago Blackhawks. Maybe things are different. I know in this COVID season, you guys aren't getting out that much, but still there's grocery store runs and a, anything else. With this uh, level of devotion that the Henderson Silver Knight fan base seems to have, uh, do you get recognized at all in public around Henderson? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like like you said, we're not we're not really going out a whole lot, but um, you know, a few times even in Summerlin and stuff like that. You know, Vegas is 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 a really small town. Actually, what it feels like. Um, you know, big fans. It's a it's a big hockey city already, and you know they 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 seem to know their players pretty well. So it's a you know it's a cool community to be in. With Reed Duke, on that note, when I was in, in San Antonio, we would travel to Chicago, and there was this group of four or five autograph hounds who were outside the rink every single morning to make sure they got every visiting team that came through. I'm sure they got you guys at the start of the year. Now, all AHL fans want to meet their favorite players, and that's, that's great, but how, how different a, uh, an experience is it when you have those really, really committed uh, collectors around AHL buildings like, uh, like you experienced in Chicago and I'm sure elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, it, it's great to have, um, you know, diehard fans like that. Um, you know, they do anything for for the team, and it's great to have their support. So, um, you know, it's not much of our, out of our day just to say hi and, and give them our autographs and, you know, spend a couple of minutes with them. You know, it means the world to them, so we're happy to do it. We're with Reed Duke. Now, Reed, you played the saxophone, the guitar, and the violin growing up. At least that's what you told me. Do you still play them? And was Reed Duke a band geek growing up? Uh, I wasn't a band geek. It was just uh, just a couple of instruments I played uh, in school. Um, and then actually my later years in junior, um, there was like seven or eight of us that all bought a guitar and we just all kind of started playing together. And 
um, you know, just with like the last year and a half, not really being able to do a whole lot, um, you know, it's nice to kind of have a little bit of a hobby like that and just stay inside and kind of try something new. So, um, you know, it's been keeping me busy and it's uh, kind of something fun to do. Which one do you play best? Uh, I don't play the saxophone or violin anymore. That was when I was younger, but, uh, you know, I'm just playing the, the guitar right now. If I were to put you on the spot and try to get you with the guitar, uh, the VGK drum line and the town crier all together for some sort of a, uh, a cover album, would you go for that? I, I don't know if I'd be able to keep up with them. Um, you know, I, I need to put a little bit more work in, but uh, maybe in a few months here we can try something out. We'll circle back on that. Uh, we're with Reed Duke. Reed, you said your favorite book is Mind Gym, which is basically sports psychology. How do you prepare yourself uh, on the mental side when getting ready for game time? Yeah, it's just, um, you know, believing in yourself and, you know, putting the work in. I think when, when you do your part and you do your job, um, you know, you kind of have that, that confidence that you've done everything that you've uh, been able to do to give yourself the best chance to, to succeed. And, um, you know, it's just one of those books that I read a few times as a kid, um, you know, in high school and then in junior and then even uh, it's kind of funny. As soon as I got hurt, uh, Wardo actually walked into the training room one day and he, he handed me a book and it was mine, Jim. So, um, you know, that was kind of a funny coincidence. Uh, it was nice to pick that book up again. But, uh, yeah, obviously the, the mental part of the game is, you know, is huge, um, especially dealing with injuries. You know, you, you want to you wanna have a good attitude and, you know, when you're, when you're confident and, you know, trusting your abilities, then you're going to give yourself a good chance out there. All right, we'll move from the serious to the silly just to get a bit better sense of who Reed Duke really is. Uh, Reed, what do you remember about the first NHL game that you ever attended? Uh, uh, the first NHL game, I think I remember it was in, uh, I'm from Calgary, so I was a huge Flames fan. Um, I remember pretty, pretty vividly, actually, I, was, I ran down the stairs to the glass and I was banging down on the glass. And uh, it was during warm-ups, and Jerome again like came over, and uh, he kind of gave me a wink, and he threw me a puck over the glass. I I must have been like you know six or seven maybe. So um, I, I remember that pretty clearly. It was a cool moment. I'm sure Jerome remembers it vividly too. When you signed your contract, he said, "I know that kid." Uh, what is the uh, your favorite Halloween costume that that you've ever worn? Uh, favorite Halloween costume that I've ever. I've worn. Um, I did it a few times when I was younger. I, I went as a Scream. Uh, that that seemed to be my go-to. Uh, I like that one. What is Reed Duke most afraid of? Uh, what am I most afraid of? Uh, I have to go with like insects or spiders, snakes, something like that. Some creepy and crawly. I'm not a huge fan of those. So no spider Halloween costumes coming up. Uh, who is Reed Duke's favorite Muppet? Favorite Muppet? If I could name one, I'd tell you I'm not uh, not big on Muppets. I don't know a whole lot. So, all right. Well, now we know the the movie you have to watch on the ride home. Muppet Treasure Island for Reed Duke. Uh, final question. Wrap things up. Your favorite hockey broadcaster growing up? Favorite broadcaster? Um, I would have to say probably the Flames announcer. Um, when I was a kid, they were going on there. Uh, their big Stanley Cup run, and I just remember hearing uh, hearing him call all the games and um, just his passion, his voice. I, I forget his name uh, exactly what it was, but um, uh, I wish I, I wish I had it. But uh, I just remembered I loved listening to the Flames games. Uh, they were a really good team, and 
Uh, they had some good runs, so that uh, just the passion that he brought uh, calling games and, um, you know, that, that made me grow into a big fan. So did Martin Jell and his shot go in in game six, or do you still not want to talk about it? Oh, it was in for sure. I, I still talk to uh, some friends from school and stuff like that. You know, if you say it was in, they, they know exactly what you're talking about. So that's a pretty sensitive topic for any Calgarian. My uh, my fiance is from Buffalo, so I have the uh, the Brett Hull foot in the crease conversation with her. I'll have Martin Jella conversations with you, uh, Reed. Just so you know, the town uh, town cry. You are his favorite name to say, so that's uh, that's a very lofty position you hold. Congratulations for that, and uh, welcome back. Great to have you this, uh, back in the lineup for the rest of the season. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That was Reed Duke. We will step aside. When we come back, we'll have AHL insider Patrick Williams straight ahead on HSK today. Brian McCormick. Back on HSK Today, Brian McCormick here with you, and we are joined by a man who I kind of refer to as the Adam Schefter of the American Hockey League, the insider for NHL.com and EliteProspects.com, Mr. Patrick Williams. Patrick, thank you so much for taking some time this afternoon uh, to talk some AHL hockey with us. Thank you. That's a uh, pretty heady crease. I was going to say, the uh, your bio on Twitter probably just changed as we speak. Uh, Patrick, you have a better sense of the AHL than anyone. You've been tapped into every team in the AHL for years, but especially this unique COVID season that we're having. Uh, having. What have the challenges been like from division to vi- division, region to region? Because I'm sure everyone's having a very different experience this season. Yeah, it's it's like almost multiple leagues in one. Um, what you see in the Pacific Division with you guys out there is, is very different from let's say the you know the Bridgeports and Providences of the world who are up and back on the bus the same day they play two opponents this year so that's another issue mm-hmm. both uh, just in terms of uh, competition where you're trying to you're trying to play an opponent that you've seen 12 times already um, it just certainly it, it complicates you know you're trying to do some different things so and then simply also is the other factor is just the variety. So there's that, and then there's uh, obviously, as, as you well know, all the COVID protocols, uh, the uh, lack of uh, socializing between players, uh, which is a big deal in the league where you have uh, what, a half to two-thirds in a given season of player turnover. So uh, all these players, my sense is they don't seem to know each other all that well, especially on some <laughs> of these teams where you have the taxi squads up and back. Uh, day after day, so uh, there's a lot of challenges. I know a lot of coaches this year uh, kind of pulling their hair out, uh, just uh, reaching into their bag of tricks, trying to figure out uh, anything and everything they can uh, to, to navigate some of these limitations. And Patrick, I'd imagine that it also presents challenges for evaluation every year the ahl has a division heavy schedule that's to be expected but Hmm. with teams playing whether it's two or six opponents over and over and over again just that sample size it must be hard to to stack your players up against the competition and determine evaluation wise is my player really good or is he really good against providence it it, that must pose some challenges as well absolutely i mean well you look at bridgeport for or, or providence for example and they play bridgeport and hartford uh every every game this year and Bridgeport has their struggles this year so how much of what you're seeing from those Providence players is uh, they're actually on track and how much is they're kind of beating up on an opponent uh, where they have their numbers so 
that's a challenge, absolutely. Um, I think the other thing, too, is especially that you look at the Canadian division, for example, you have five teams, odd number of clubs. That means one team at any given point is always off, and usually for that, that tends to last seven, ten days at a clip. So players are having a hard time getting into any sort of rhythm. Uh, the traditional Wednesday, Friday, Saturday schedule format pretty much has gone out the window for a lot of teams. Uh, they're playing at, you know, 1 o'clock in the afternoon because that's when they can get ice time at the local rink that they're playing out of. Uh, that's a factor. Uh, there's just a lot of uh, challenges. I mean, this league is, is a challenge for young players at any time. Uh, and I think that's been uh, magnified many times over this year. We're with AHL insider Patrick Williams. You can find his work on NHL.com and EliteProspects.com. Patrick, the Silver Knights have arguably had the best first half of a season, even a, a truncated season, but the best first half of any first-year AHL team uh, in history. You hate sleep because you've been staying up for all the West Coast games all year <laughs> long. Uh, what what has separated, you think, the Silver Knights uh, from the rest of the division, the rest of the league, the rest of history of first-year teams that they've gotten off to such a great start? Um, well, there's a lot of things. One is uh, the number of ways they can beat you. They can beat you with, uh, obviously, their speed, their skill, their experience. Uh, uh, the thing I note about them is it's really that, that exact right blend of uh, – your veteran guys, your Patrick Browns, your Yurkos, guys like that, uh, and then your your real real solid young prospects. And you want to have as that balance as tight as possible. Uh, you saw it a couple of years back with with the Charlotte Checkers, for example. Patrick Brown, part of that team, not a coincidence. Where yeah. um, uh, teams get into troubles when they're a little bit stacked uh, too much on one side or the other. You don't want to have too many veterans sitting around. You don't want to have too many prospects who are taking on the uh, water early, especially early in the season, and, and kind of getting beat up uh, with their confidence. So uh, especially having those older players early in the year to uh, get, get the young players through some of those early growing pains is a huge deal. And I think Manny Beaveros, um, he's the right mix of uh, he knows when to lean on his players and he knows when to kind of ease off. And uh, you saw that uh, a couple weeks back against Colorado that first game at home. Um, they got into some penny, penalty trouble. It wasn't their finest effort, uh, and he was fairly hard on them. And uh, they came out the, the next game and certainly responded um, and have been pretty solid ever since. So um, it's, it's that, that situation in the American Hockey League. It's always uh, coaches with young players. They, they have to find that balance between uh, – Lean on players when they need to and pushing them, but not uh, doing that too much so and risking their confidence. So I think he's done a fantastic job this year. And obviously it's just a, you know, for especially for a first-year team, just a well-oiled operation. It's very clear to see from a distance. Patrick, in this year's strange COVID circumstances, we've seen something we've never really seen before, which is a lot of junior-aged players who would ordinarily have been in juniors playing in the American Hockey League. Now, with the Western Hockey League's return, some of those players have gone back, like Caden uh, Korzak and Peyton Krebs, who Silver Knights fans got a real good dose of in the first month of the season. Uh, for the OHL, a lot of those players still in the American Hockey League. The question being, have we learned something this year? I don't know if anything would change, but have we learned something about how just how ready some of these teenage prospects are for professional hockey, though they still play in juniors because of the way the rules are structured? 
Well, it, it's an interesting discussion because it's kind of been on the back burner off and on for a number of years. Um, the idea of, well, why not have 18, 19-year-olds, especially the first-round type picks, uh, come in and, and get that pro training early in their career? Uh, it's also a chance where they don't get into bad habits. Sometimes those players that stay in junior and they're dominant, uh, they can get by on skill, and that's not the case in the American League. They have to learn the two-way game and all the things that coaches like to harp on. So um, we we got that uh, experiment kind of on a wide-scale basis across the league, obviously because of the circumstances. And all things considered, uh, the young players handle it pretty well. I mean, you speak with coaches and often say that uh, players these days coming out as junior are a lot more polished. They're a lot more ready for the pro game than they were maybe five or ten years ago. And uh, you look at a Peyton Krebs or a Korzak, and uh, they did not look out of place one bit. Seth Jarvis in Chicago led the league in scoring when he was sent back, which has to be a first in league history that the yeah. <laughs> leading scorer in the league is you know, more or less demoted. So, and you have a, um, you have a similar I, uh, well. J- Jamie Drysdale got called up, of course, but he was yeah. leading the league too, too when he went up. Yeah, yeah. So you had a guy who got promoted to the NHL and another guy who got sent down <laughs> to juniors. So um, it's it's one of the stranger things, even in a strange season. So um, I think there there will be some examination of that role going forward. There's the balance there. You need to think about uh, what happens to the Canadian Hockey League owners and. Uh, looking out for their interests. Now, I don't know that you would get a ton of sympathy from American Hockey League teams because they lose their best players all the time. Um, so they're probably more of the mindset will join the club. So uh, <laughs> somewhere along the way, they're going to have to find the right balance. I've heard different things. You know, maybe the possibility of one player per team uh, you know, would be allowed an exemption to come in at 18 or 19 and, and play in the American League. And, um, that would probably be a happy balance if they could find that uh, and make that happen. But, uh, you know, there's so much on, on the plate of the people in charge these days that I'm not sure they'll necessarily get to it right away. We're with AHL insider Patrick Williams. You can follow him on Twitter at PWilliamsAHL, and I suggest that you do. Patrick, it's so unique in a shortened season like this to try to put statistics in context. Uh, four or five game runs, or still four or five game runs, but do we project someone's stats of what they would have been in a normal year just by doubling them? That's not really fair or realistic. Having said that, can we put into context the kind of numbers that Logan Thompson is putting up for Henderson this year? Because, again, you can't necessarily double them, but it's a big enough sample size now to to give them some, some real uh, value. I think so. I think the Pacific Division is probably something that's the most uh, approximate to a more traditional AHL season. Teams are mm-hmm. playing on a pretty regular basis. You're getting your two or three games a week. Um, you're seeing a variety of opponents. So I think it would be fair to say that uh, his numbers would hold up over the course of a full season. He's been absolutely outstanding. I mean, uh, watch his game last night against San Jose. I mean, that was a tough loss for him to take him. 39 saves. Uh, and it's not the first time he's had a game like that either. So um, he's come a long, a long way. I mean, for where he was a couple years back, uh, playing university hockey, then he had to go down to the NHL, battle there, and that's a tough lead for goalies because it's so wide open and scrambly. And uh, he got his opportunity this year with, with the Vegas uh, system, and he's just run with it. And, uh, I think he's opened up a lot of eyes, and 
he makes, I mean, having that goalie back there who can uh, clean up some mistakes and, and erase uh, th- those errors, especially when you have defensemen uh, learning the pro game, it's just huge. And uh, if if a young defenseman can, can make a mistake and turn the puck over and not have it end up in his back of his net every time, uh, that's just it's just such a an asset to have uh, to, to develop your young defenseman that way and not having to just get their confidence beat up. So uh, Logan Thompson is, is excellent back there, and uh, I think making a push sooner rather than later for uh, more NHL work. Patrick, while COVID this year, the COVID circumstances have been in one way a distraction. We're behaving differently than we ever have before. In another way, it's eliminated a lot of the usual distractions players would put up with during a season. There's really nothing for them to focus on but hockey and staying healthy. Having said that, we are now this weekend, Monday, approaching the NHL trade deadline, which we always think of in NHL context. But, you know, some of the pot sweeteners, the throw-ins, or the occasionally the center of deals sometimes are prospects and, and players that are playing in the American Hockey League. So from your experience over the years, how do players and teams handle AHL or NHL trade deadline season? Well, it's a little harder now for a couple reasons, uh, one of which is COVID. You can't go out, really. Uh, the other thing is social media. I mean, I'm old enough to remember uh, before social media, guys uh, on trade deadline day would more or less head to the bar and uh, you know, basically have a blackout of the news. And uh, <laughs> uh, if they need me, they'll find me. Otherwise, I'll be in the bar. And um, Blackout, no pun yeah, intended, now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now it's a little harder to escape. Now you're at home. Uh, you can't socialize with your teammates and your buddies. Uh, you've got Twitter there. And every player or other has their, their public account or their burner account. So it's a little harder to escape, especially if you're a player that, that has been in the, in the rumor mill and you are a possibility. Now, some players would not mind a trade. Uh, obviously, it's a better situation in some cases. Uh, I'm interested to see this year how, how it all looks because uh, with the various quarantine rules from one place to another, it's a lot harder to move players around. Uh, so if you're, if you're dating trade this year, um, you're not necessarily going to be able to have a lot of time with your new club because NHL season ends in a month or so. And uh, by the time you go to quarantine and get acclimated that way and get you know, kind of back in the flow of things after sitting out, uh, it's uh, it, you know it's going to be mid to late April. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I none of us have any precedent for this, and, and really have no way to to gauge exactly where the trade deadline will shake out. Um, you already seen a, a couple of trades already that were a little bit bigger, I think, than anybody expected. Uh, the Chicago deal uh, with Florida, and then uh, the Jersey uh, Islanders deal the other day. So. Um, there has been activity. I guess it does show that NHL GMs are going to be able to pull off some deals, but um, I really have no sense of what's ahead on you know next week. Patrick, we have one minute, so really quickly, it's unfair to throw this uh, this grenade in your lap, but if this were a regular season, we don't know what the playoff situation will or will not look like for the AHL, but if we were on that trajectory, who would be your fr- your favorites heading into quote-unquote spring? Uh, yeah, so I'll do a traditional uh, east-west. Uh, I'll go with uh, Laval in the, in the east. Uh, they're just a, a good, fast, heavy team. They play their modern game. Uh, excellent goaltending. I'll take Henderson out west. Uh, I think with a, with a nod to San Diego, that team has impressed me as well at times. San Diego, I think, uh, is more of an up-and-down team, but, but Henderson has uh, 
uh, had that consistency all year. So I'll go with Henderson, LaValle, theoretical final. That means you made a lot of fans on uh, 12.30 of the game, and we get to have you back. Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time with us this afternoon. Love to do it again real soon. Thank you. My pleasure. That was Patrick Williams, AHL Insider for NHL.com. Follow him on Twitter, at PWilliamsAHL. Silver Knights fans, our Henderson Silver Knights, make their return to the Orleans Arena on Thursday, April 15th at 7 p.m. They take on the Tucson Roadrunners, and tickets are available now starting at less than $40. If you haven't been to a game, don't miss out on being a part of the historic inaugural season and join all the fun with the town crier and the new mascot, Lucky. A great day of family fun. Visit HendersonSilverKnights.com to purchase today or call 702-645-4259. 702-645-4259 to learn more about tickets to Henderson Silver Knights hockey. We'll step aside when we come back. Hockey talk as we find out what is a pigeon and what does it mean to wheel. Straight ahead on HSK Today, Brian McCormick here with you on 12.30 The Game. Wrapping things up on a Thursday afternoon on 12.30 The Game, Brian McCormick here with you on HSK Today. Great to hear from Patrick Williams, AHL insider. Always a wealth of information. We'll certainly have him back. We've also heard from Reed Duke earlier today. Uh, now at this point of the program, what I'd like to do, uh, something I'm going to institute just to make sure everything's staying on the up and up in uh, the on the, the behind the scenes, backstage for the Henderson Silver Knights, our weekly equipment check. It's very important to make sure that uh, everything is uh, up to snuff. So uh, we're going to go to Cameron Batty, the assistant equipment manager, for our equipment check of the week. Cameron, how's the equipment? It's great. And that is our equipment check of the week. Cameron Batty, thank you for uh, putting all of our minds at ease. You know, uh, Equipment is infrastructure, so it's very important to make sure that it's up, uh, it's it's on par with the expectations. So we're ready for Friday night against the Bakersfield Condors, and all the equipment is go. Now, time for hockey talk. I love this segment because uh, I just get a laugh out of it. Uh, Damon, I don't you, I don't think you were with us for episode one when we last did hockey talk. For those of you who are new, basically, there's so much slang in hockey, so many terms that. Uh, lay people may not know what the heck they mean and sometimes our players don't really know either uh, but we give the players an opportunity to take these terms these phrases this vernacular and break it down into layman's terms for everyday conversation it is today's edition of hockey talk and uh, demand today's words are pigeon and wheel do you know what either of those mean in a hockey context well we're gonna find out time for hockey talk let's give it a listen Hockey talk, Zach Hayes. What does it mean to wheel? Um, to wheel means uh, you're flirting with a girl or someone that you um, could see yourself with, see, see yourself with, uh, someone that you're trying to get to know better. So wheel snipe Sully refers to dating. Um, kinda in a, in a in a run around way. Zach, what is a pigeon? Someone who kind of just yaps their mouth a little bit on the bench, but is just kind of sitting there off to the side. Assistant coach Jamie Heward, what is a pigeon? <laughs> a pigeon. Uh, a pigeon is uh, is somebody that the players dislike on the other team, and they don't feel that his skills are as good as their theirs. And uh, you may hear, uh, you are a pigeon. What does it mean to wheel? To wheel. <laughs> there's there's two meanings to that, but I'll, I'll use the uh, the G-rated one. That's to go back for the puck, uh, 
uh, when it's close to behind the net and come out the other side with speed. Braden Pahal, what does it mean to wheel? Uh, are we talking hockey or off the ice? Uh, hockey would be um, wheeling the net uh, with the puck getting speed and off ice it would be uh, showing your, your uh, flirtatious side, I guess, to win it. Braden, what is a pigeon? A uh, pigeon is um, just kind of like a, a weird dude, uh, uh, outcast. That's Hockey Talk. We had Braden Pahal, assistant coach Jamie Heward, and Zach Hayes, and they were all close. Uh, a pigeon is a player who can't score on his own. He relies on other players to feed him, like a pigeon in the park. So that's that was pretty solid. And wheel, I just love that everyone went to the non-hockey interpretation first. Uh, a lot of charmers in the Henderson Silver Knights locker room, clearly. That's going to do it for today's episode of HSK Today. The Henderson Silver Knights on the ice tomorrow night here at Mechanics Bank Arena in Bakersfield for a 6 o'clock puck drop against the Bakersfield Condors. We'll have pregame coverage starting at 5.30 right here on 12.30 of the game. I'm Brian McCormick. Thanks for joining us on HSK Today. We'll see you next week and over the weekend for Silver Knights Hockey.